Hi, everyone. Before we start today's episode, we'd like to encourage you to check out our Patreon page. For just $5 a month, you will have access to exclusive bonus podcasts and videos and help support Yoga Chit Chat in generating future episodes. The first bonus episode is the philosophy of the matrix and how it relates to Advaita Vedanta. And for $10 a month, you'll have access to all of the bonus content plus our online book club. To start, we'll be chit-chatting about the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. If you want to join us, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash yoga chit-chat. Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I'm Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, new bar student, and older sister. And I'm Karak Morinaga, yoga teacher, philosophy student, and fitness addict. Each week, we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga principle, philosophy, or theme. Today's topic is Tantra. The word roughly translates into loom. Tantra is very difficult to define because it is not, it's not like Tantra was just created in a, in a bubble. It's not like Tantra is all from one person or all in one book or in one set of teachings. Tantra encompasses a broad range of teachings, we could call it a, a collection of teachings from a period in time in yoga history. Tantra is a collection of thought that occurs much later in yoga history. So probably around the seventh or eighth century is when Tantra starts to uh, rise, and then I think that it probably is at its peak somewhere around the ninth century and continues to expand till maybe the 12th to the 14th century. And all of my dates are probably off by two or 300 years, plus or minus. Tantra does not get created in a vacuum. It builds upon the philosophy of the past, builds upon classical yoga philosophy, Advaita Vedanta, yoga philosophy, and it takes the best of what's come before and just continues to sort of expand on those philosophies and, and flourish as something somewhat revolutionary and new, but at the same time honoring and building upon the past. And that's really what I love about Tantra. It doesn't throw out anything or deny anything from previous philosophies. It just takes what was already there and really incorporates it into a very elegant system of thought that continues to expand and grow. And just for context, the reason we're discussing it is because the style of yoga that both you and I teach is based on Tantra. It's based on Tantric philosophy. So Anusara was developed with tantric philosophy in mind, which is why um, it's really cool for us to be talking about this today. And I think that's a really good point, Phoebe. So tantric philosophy is the background for Anusara yoga and for us as teachers. And really today, as we have this discussion, all we can really talk about is how tantra has influenced our studentship, how tantra has influenced our teaching 
we can really only talk from experience. So as we talk about Tantra today, we're not going to cover everything Tantra because we have not studied everything Tantra and we don't teach everything Tantra. We're, we're just going to be able to have a discussion from our own experience and how Tantra has affected us. There's so much to Tantra and going into the ways that it influences our teaching and practice is, is really the only thing that we can speak to. And so big sort of overview of it, Tantra is a non-dual philosophy. So compared to dual philosophies where there is this designation of kind of darkness and light or God and everything else, there's no separation. It's all divine. It's all shit consciousness. It's yeah, it's all the same, which is, is similar to other schools of thought and it, yeah, and so this this idea of, of non-duality sort of percolates into every aspect of, of the practice. And I personally love this idea so much because it doesn't put the power, it doesn't put the divinity outside of you. And and this is just sort of me as a as a spiritual student. I love it because it to to get closer to God, to get closer to consciousness, to get closer to the divine, whatever word resonates the most with you, the way that you get there is through a mystical journey within. It's not worshiping something outside of you, although there are deities in Tantra, which we'll get into, but ultimately the quest is inward. And in doing that, you are satiating the divine's desire to know itself. In a dualistic philosophy, as you alluded to, there's, there's two big broad categories and they are spirit and matter for lack of a better term. It's God or consciousness, spirit, the absolute in one category. And then in the other category, you have matter, the physical world, the body, even the mind is pushed into that, uh, that other category. Uh, in the classical philosophy, Purusha and Prakriti are the, the common Sanskrit words used to define those categories. Purusha being the unmanifest, the spiritual world, and then Prakriti being the physical world, the manifest world. And in the tantric philosophy and the non-dual philosophy, those two broad categories go away and everything is made up of the same stuff. Everything is consciousness, as you put it, Phoebe. And then the way that we account for separation or diversity is that the one consciousness chooses to divide and subdivide and take on all forms. So you and I are consciousness just in a smaller, contracted form. Consciousness chooses to break apart and become all things in the universe. So because we are just little parts of the bigger consciousness, that means that consciousness is within us and we are consciousness. And that's what you're talking about. We go inside 
to explore our own divinity. We go inside to explore spirit and we can explore spirit. This is what I love. We can explore spirit in our minds. We can explore spirit in our bodies. We can explore spirit in our everyday lives. It doesn't have to be sitting for an hour and meditating. It doesn't have to be chanting for five hours. Uh, we can explore and experience consciousness and spirit in a yoga pose, in triangle pose, in warrior two, in a handstand. We can experience consciousness hiking on our favorite trail. We can experience consciousness in community with other people. As a yoga teacher, a Hatha yoga teacher teaching physical yoga, this is very important to me because now the physical practice of yoga is no more or no less spiritual than a practice of sitting and meditating for eight hours. So you can be just as spiritual doing a few minutes of yoga because everything is spirit, your body, your mind, and your heart. You can be just as spiritual as the person who is sitting and, and doing a meditation practice or doing a fasting practice or doing a chanting practice. Every, it evens the playing field and everything that we do has at least the potential to be a spiritual practice. And as a physical yoga teacher, a Hatha yoga teacher, that's very important to me. If I had a more classical background where things were more separate, then I don't know. It, to me, it feels like the body and doing the physical practice is somehow less spiritual than doing a, a mindfulness or a more psychic practice. So that's, that's what I love about it and why, why I study and continue to study Tantra. And one of the distinctions in Tantra that I personally love and really resonate with is that the mind is spirit and the mind is divine. Whereas in other schools, we're taught that the mind is the opposite and that by um, sort of over-engaging with the mind, you're not being spiritual. But through this lens, even when your mind is racing and you're, you're thinking all the wrong thoughts, quote unquote, it's still spiritual practice. And to me, that's actually the most important spiritual practice is cultivating the awareness to see when your mind is racing and when your mind is looping back the same stories and narratives and it is sort of not working in your highest good, but that's still spiritual practice. In fact, to me, that's the, the most important kind is is being able to see that and change that. So I really like tantric philosophy from this perspective because the mind isn't an adversary. The mind is a tool. In some ways, it's kind of our most challenging tool to reach divine consciousness. And also in tantric philosophy, there's this vision of the self, which I won't dive too deeply into because we could spend hours in it. Um, but essentially it, it looks at the self kind of like a little Russian doll, like a Matryoshka doll with the, the different layers. And so divine consciousness is at the center. That's the, the tiniest little doll. And then we have these layers that build, that sort of get bigger as they expand upon the, the core of divine consciousness. And so we, we have these different layers because consciousness is curious. It doesn't just want to, well, I don't know if I want to speak for consciousness, but 
through this this lens of philosophy consciousness there are layers on top of it so that it can experience physical experiences so that it can experience emotional experiences so that it can experience um you know heart and mind and breath and body but at its core it is this divine essence that is the same essence that we might look at a god or deity outside of us um but anyway the the whole package of being a human and from the perspective of tantric philosophy is divine and that is what i love so much but particularly when it comes to the practice of yoga because for such a long time before i really understood this i felt like i wasn't if i did a pose badly or if i didn't make it to my mat or i effed up royally just in some aspect of my life then i wasn't spiritual like somehow that was outside of my spiritual practice and it was because of my pesky mind that got in the way and this really helps me sort of rectify that and realize that it's all spiritual practice it all has the opportunity to be spiritual practice when you're connected back to this idea of of turning inward to understand yourself and everything more deeply i love that you spoke for all of consciousness <laughs> because because it, it goes, it's really in line with the philosophy. You, Phoebe, Schiff, are consciousness. So you are speaking for consciousness and you are simply a contracted version of the larger consciousness. So you speak for all of consciousness. I love that. To me, which is what I was hearing you saying when you were saying speaking for all of consciousness, consciousness wants to experience through us, through our bodies, through our human experience. And the way I would describe it is that consciousness chooses to experience as much as possible. Consciousness chooses to experience everything. Just out of her own delight, she chooses to play and explore and learn and grow and evolve. And she'll do that in any way that she can. And she does that through all of us. We are vehicles for consciousness in this lifetime. And I, I think our goal is to experience as much as possible, to expand our own consciousness and to be blissful in that experience. So our highest intentions in Anusara Yoga are consciousness and bliss. Our, our task as human beings while we're given this body is to explore and take in as much as possible because we are helping consciousness, the bigger consciousness, to then experience and play and enjoy through each of us. So we're, we're each like smaller, we're like individual organs or parts of this bigger body and may we go out and have a good time and enjoy life and be more aware and teach ourselves and learn and grow on a continuous basis um, because that's what she wants to do that's what consciousness wants to do and so should we so i i love that um that you put it that way and and i think of it very similarly it's funny i was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday and with this particular friend, we can often get very 
goal oriented. And so we'll, we'll hold each other accountable to, you know, have accomplished certain milestones and get this done and try this. And it's great. You know, we, we have a really great uh, relationship in that way. And then yesterday we were talking about how we both need to have a little bit more fun and not just crush goals, so to speak. And then the more we sort of talked about it, I was thinking, you know, fun is kind of the, the highest return on investment you can get for consciousness. You know, like you, I, I think of return on investment as like making money or getting more followers or getting this or that. But ultimately, the reason why you want any return on investment in anything that you're doing in your life is to then be able to kind of not worry about it and graduate on to the real soul return on investment, which is having fun, playing, enjoying, delighting. And that's what consciousness is trying to get to. But it kind of sets up this little game with it and it puts us in these imperfect bodies and these imperfect situations, which then textures the experience in a way so that there is darkness and there is suffering and there is a, a struggle to get to the delight. But that's the game. That's, that's the game it's playing with each of us. And so the more that we can play the game, but realize that it's a game and realize that fun is the, the highest, the highest return. That's the, I don't even want to say that's the goal because it's beyond the goal. That's the experience. That's the highest. In some ways it's kind of coming full circle. It's coming back to that, that core divine consciousness essence. And so this, yeah, this, this curiosity that consciousness has is always seeking that. And I think it's really important for all of us to remember fun and, and to remember delight. And it's, it's challenging. I'm, you know, I'll be transparent. I now am scheduling blocks of fun in on my calendar because otherwise it will just not get done. And that sounds ridiculous, but it, yeah, sometimes it kind of falls to the bottom. And so may we remember to always come back to fun and joy and delight to give consciousness that experience. And this is another way that Tantra colors the Anusara practice. The Anusara practice is intended to be fun. And sure, we take yoga seriously and we align very precisely and we work on expanding our knowledge of the body, the mind and the spirit, and we incorporate philosophy. And so we're, in some ways we're very traditional as far as incorporating philosophy and alignment principles. But then at the same time, it is about having fun. It's about interacting with teachers and students, the interaction between them and between other students. There's a big element of community in tantric philosophy and that seeps into the Anusara practice as well. So we'll do partner poses and we'll spot each other and we'll help each other. Um, sometimes an Anusara class gets a little chatty because people are allowed to talk in class and ask the teacher questions, at least in my class they are. You can ask me questions and sometimes students interact sometimes a little bit too much, but they get chatty in class. And that's, it's all part of this experience, expanding that experience 
if we are all divine consciousness, then interacting with another person is interacting with divine consciousness. And so kula, this element of community, becomes very important to tantra as well as to um, anusara yoga. And that's, so it's, it's been a big part of my teaching and my practice as well. I just want to highlight something you just said because I think it's so beautiful and really important to remember. Anytime that you're speaking to another person, you're speaking to divine consciousness. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but it really doesn't feel that way all the time. But it's, that's how it is. Consciousness is always communicating to us through, through people and, and, and things besides people, but we're, we're always in, interacting with that divine consciousness. I'll tell you a funny little story that happened to me last night, which really felt like consciousness communicating with me. I was actually reading um, one of the books um, called Tantra Illuminated, which is what we've referenced quite a bit in preparing for the episode. I was um, sitting at a, I took a Pilates class last night and I was sitting in the waiting area and I read this line in the book and it was talking about the the sort of direction of your spiritual practice. And it said, it, you know, it's sort of important to be prepared, but if you're, if you are, if you don't know the direction, then it doesn't matter how much preparation you have. And it said something along the lines of, if you, it's kind of like having all the right running and jogging gear. But if you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter how nice your gear is. So I'm not even kidding you. I read this line and then this girl walks into the yoga, into the Pilates studio and says to her friends, hey everyone, check out these awesome new Nike running shoes I got. <laughs> and it just, it was such a beautiful, divinely humorous moment. And it just felt to me like consciousness was really driving that point home. <laughs> like you can have the right running gear, but if you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter. And this is to me the, the gift of awareness that comes from spiritual practice is just being able to see the humor of divine consciousness and seeing those little moments, seeing those little synchronicities and realizing that it's all this, this sort of collaboration and conspiracy to just be able to see it and enjoy it. Divine consciousness is always at play. And I love that it colors the practice, it colors the teaching um, so that hopefully the practice is joyful and divine. However, on sort of the flip side of that in tantric philosophy, we also recognize that there is a pulsation. There's a, the Sanskrit word is spanda. We're not always going to have moments of extreme joy and blissfulness and harmony and fun, we recognize that there are also dark times, that there are moments of contraction where we pull in and draw in. There are moments when we have to be more serious or somber, where we mourn and we, you know, get stressed out and things like that. And we, we recognize a pulsation and the two highest intentions of Anusara Yoga are chit and ananda. So ananda being the bliss and the joy and the fun and the play, and then chit being consciousness, remembrance, contraction and drawing in. 
and we recognize that there's this divine pulsation, it's not all fun and games. So we can be very serious as well. We can be very focused and conscious and remember to honor the past and to build upon our knowledge and, and have fun at the same time. And I, I love that balance. I think sometimes it might seem like as tantric philosophers that, oh, it's all fun and games and we're just here to do whatever we want and you know follow our bliss and just be joyful or reckless somehow. And, and it's not to say that. We, we recognize that there is a, a balance in life too. There's a spanda, a pulsation, a balance between the dark and the light, the contraction and the expansion between Chit and Ananda. Right. I mean, uh, a theme, an idea that comes up in Anuzara classes all the time is that stability leads to freedom. And that's such a fundamental idea in poses. You know, the more stable you are in, say, a warrior two, the more stable you are in your foundation, the more freedom you have to move in your arms. You can maybe wave your arms around or do an eagle pose with your arms, but all of that freedom is enabled by the stability of your foundation. And for me, just to kind of break it down into a day-by-day understanding of that, for me, a very strong foundation in my day, which is supported for me by a sort of regimented sadhana morning practice and organizing the structure of my day then gives me the freedom to enjoy the parts of my day that aren't structured. And I think in an earlier episode, you said at one point, you know, yoga is a practice of, of contraction and structure in one part of the body to find freedom in another part of the body, which I really love. And I think ultimately that's what Tantra is teaching us, stability in certain areas leads to the fun and freedom in other areas but you can't you can't have one without the other and ultimately it is about balance so if we're going to do a practice a very physical practice and explore and be very joyful and find spirit through a a physical practice then Ideally, there's probably a balance in doing some mindfulness practices as well. So exploring not just through the physical body, but then exploring through the mind, more psychic practices, um, meditation and such. It doesn't mean that one is more or less than the other, but I think balance is, is very important. And the recognition of the need for balance of both sides of the pulsation is is pretty key to the philosophy. Something I wanted to add, this is also from Tantra Illuminated, is if this idea of everything being consciousness is a little abstract to you, and it is abstract, um, one of the sections in the book that I read that helped me understand it um, a little bit more deeply was we are experiencing consciousness in the same way that a fish is experiencing water. And so when we kind of ask like, well, what is consciousness? It's sort of like a fish being like, well, what is water? Like consciousness is what we are immersed in, what we are, what we're completely surrounded by. 
but it's also a little bit hard to see because it's it's all that we know and so that that kind of helped that land for me a little bit more are there any other ways that you sort of understand all this whole notion of consciousness being everything yeah i i think this is also in the same book so phoebe and i keep referencing tantra illuminated which is a really amazing book by Christopher Wallace. He also goes by Harish Wallace. He's a Sanskrit scholar. He, he's actually studied the, the Sanskrit, the texts in Sanskrit. He's a scholar and a practitioner, which is amazing. I've never actually read, I can't read Sanskrit, so I can't ever study the, the original Sanskrit, but it's usually books like this. And uh, that Tantra Illuminate book is, a key teaching for me. And I think it's in Tantra Illuminated. I'd even been using this analogy before I read it in Tantra Illuminated, but it, it's in there. So it must be a way that other scholars uh, and other yoga teachers define it. I'm, I'm not even sure where I first heard this analogy, but you can think of everything as being spirit or consciousness and then the way that we account for our bodies being consciousness, our minds being consciousness, and our quote unquote spirits being consciousness, it's like, it's like water, H2O. When you freeze water, it's a solid. And so our bodies are kind of like the most crystallized solid form of consciousness. And then our minds are a little more fluid. We change our minds, our minds shift, all the time. And so our minds are more like water as a liquid. And then we can think of our spirits or our hearts as the most esoteric form of water, H2O, uh, like a vapor or a gas um, or steam. And it's all water. It's all H2O, just in different forms, just in different densities. And so consciousness takes on different forms, different densities, including you and me including everything in the universe. That's always helped me to think of consciousness. And it's just one body of, let's go back to your fish analogy. It's just one body of water that we're all submersed in, but then it's little frozen pockets of water and other pockets of water are more fluid. And then other parts of the water are just more expansive and they're a vapor, but it's all water. It's all this one substance. And then that one substance takes on different forms and just gets to explore and, and know itself better. So consciousness is knowing herself better through us, through the different forms. I love that. That analogy never gets old for me. And I also love that water is constantly in motion. It's in flow. It's either freezing or melting or evaporating or raining. And sometimes it's still, sometimes it's stagnant, but then it gets moved around. And it's such a amazing to think of our experience and to remember our connection to everything. So may we remember that we are all divine consciousness. There are a few other key teachings from Tantra. And by the way, we're not even touching on some of the key teachings from Tantra because 
mainly because uh, historically they were probably more important, but today in at least the yoga practices that Phoebe and I do and the way that we teach, they're not quite as important. So I'll just rattle off a couple of things. So we've talked about mantras before and we even had a podcast on mantras, but mantra is pretty important to Tantra. Yantras and mandalas, which are different symbolic paintings or representations of the universe are pretty important. There's a lot of linguistic mysticism in Tantra where there's something called Matrika Shakti, where the individual words and symbols have power and um, great meaning. Uh, Meditation is very important to Tantra. Also, the guru and the initiation of the student through the guru is also very important. And to some degree, these these different aspects of tantric philosophy um, have seeped into modern yoga culture, uh, and again, some more than others. And then the one that many Westerners are maybe familiar with or think they're familiar with is uh, ritualistic sex. So when, when I say the word Tantra sometimes and I ask students, you know, what, what do you know about Tantra? Or what do you think Tantra is? They're like, oh, isn't that like, you know, yoga, yogic sex? And it is true that there are ritualistic sexual practices that maybe are associated with the Tantric philosophy but it is such a small part of the philosophy. It's like if we had a giant pie that represented all of Tantra, that ritualistic sex would just be a small sliver of the pie. But I think that certain celebrities in the past have uh, connected their Tantric practices to that ritualistic sex. And that's what Western culture latched onto and it became known for but it is such a small part of Tantra and and not anything that I teach or practice. It's it's just something that's a part of a a bigger picture. But I do understand how sexual practices would arise out of Tantra because Tantra is historically within the yoga history, earlier in yoga history, the body, even the mind, are considered more earthly. They get in the way of your spirituality. So the body and the mind are pushed aside in an attempt to be more spiritual. And then Tantra comes along and says, no, no, wait a second. The body and the mind are beautiful. The body and the mind are also spirit, just in a different density or in a different form. And so the body becomes something that is celebrated. The mind is something that is celebrated. And so you can see where if you take that down a certain road, then because the body is being celebrated, then ritualistic sex comes up. There's even like ritualistic practices of eating meat that were tantric practices. But, you know, nobody's going around doing ritualistic meat eating practices these days that would maybe be frowned upon in a lot of yoga circles. Not that we couldn't do that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's, it's just a, such a small part of Tantra that it doesn't come up very often. 
Yeah, I think it's important to just note that that, yeah, that sort of got popular because of some pop culture references, but the you can bring the same level of ritual from Tantra into anything that you do. I think the the sex part just kind of got blown a little bit out of proportion, and so that's the only thing that people associate Tantra with. Um, but you can bring that same non-dual ritual to anything that you do and and really in the context of sex or whatever else it's still this idea that we're not separate so we're not separate from our partner we're not separate from the food that we're eating we're not separate from whatever activity it is that we're engaging in and so the the philosophy allows us to engage in ritual with really everything that we do which is really beautiful it doesn't need to be limited to that slice so really this whole conversation has been tantra from Carrick and phoebe's point of view we're really just defining tantra from our own experience which is very limited and we're not giving a, a definitive overview of Tantra by any means. It's, it's a very limited view of Tantra. And actually, if you went around and polled Tantric scholars, they would probably argue about what Tantra is as well. They'll have different views on what Tantra is. So what I'm saying is that there's not one single definition or one single way to define Tantra especially not in a in a 30 minute podcast we're just sort of explaining what we've learned from tantra in in the short amount of time that we've been studying right if anything from today piqued your interest there's great literature on tantra um we referenced the uh, Christopher Wallace book, um, a couple other books that I referenced. One is called Tantra Quest. Another is Tantra, the Path of Ecstasy. And yeah, there's there's so much to learn. And especially if you're interested in non-dual philosophy, there's, yeah, there's there's a lot to understand. So we would love to hear your thoughts on our perspectives on Tantra. We would love to hear your perspectives on Tantra We'd love to have you follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at yoga.chit.chat. You can send us a message or drop us a comment and let us know what you thought about the episode. We also have our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash yogachitchat. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we have two different tiers available right now. So head on over so that you can join us in our awesome bonus content. And I think that's all. Did I miss anything? I think that's it for now. Awesome. Thanks, Phoebe. Thanks, Karen. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>